I'm Simon Devereaux, Director of Global Talent Development at Framestore, and welcome to the Framestore podcast, a learning and talent development focused podcast made by Framestore for Framestore. In this week's two-parter, we shine a spotlight on Refugee Week, which took place last week. Refugee Week is all about celebrating the incredible contributions, creativity and resilience of refugees and those seeking sanctuary. This year, we commemorate the 25th anniversary of Refugee Week, and this year's focus on compassion, fostering a shared understanding of it and ensuring that compassion is extended to all. To dive deep into this important discussion and tackle the dailies, we have the incredible Engie Giroux joining us. Engie is the co-chair of Framestore's Social Equity Board and talent partner for outreach and inclusion. Our co-host for this episode is Dominic Narambi, another esteemed member of the Social Equity Board and head of technical project management. Prepare to have your mind blown on this episode as we delve into the wide range of captivating topics that will completely revolutionise your perspective and understanding of what it means to be a refugee. Now get comfortable, sit back and immerse yourself in episode 23 of the Framestore podcast with the amazing NG Giroud. Welcome back to another episode of the Framestore podcast. Every two weeks, we invite both a guest from our global Framestore community and a co-host with a keen interest in our guests' craft, work or career path, and we let the magic happen. We split each episode in two parts across the week. On today's episode, I warm them up by inviting our guests to the Framestore podcast daily session, our 13-question grilling, followed by Thursday's second part, where our co-host leads a deeper dive into why we invited them on the pod in the first place. In this episode, we're acknowledging Refugee Week, which is being observed during our recording today. However, by the time you hear this episode, it will have already occurred last week. Refugee Week recognises the contributions, creativity and resilience of refugees and people seeking sanctuary. This year marks a special milestone as we commemorate the 25th anniversary of Refugee Week, embracing the theme of compassion, creating a shared understanding of compassion and ensuring that we extend it widely to all. To have this discussion, and of course, to take on the dailies, we invite NG Giroux, co-chair of Framestore's Social Equity Board and talent partner for outreach and inclusion, a graduate of Norwich University of the Arts and former student of King's College London and Oxford University. NG's VFX career started a year ago, joining the global talent team at Framestore, focusing on diversity and inclusion, outreach, and of course, as I said, co-leading our Social Equity Board. Unbeknownst to many, Engie is a Syrian refugee and an accomplished author. Drawing inspiration from her childhood during the Syrian civil war, Engie beautifully crafted a poignant book, Bluebird, told through the eyes of a young boy. Her intention was not to tell her personal story, but rather to capture the essence of all Syrian children. So, of course, the perfect voice to have on this week's episodes. And joining us for this week as co-host is fellow Social Equity Board member, and Head of Technical Project Management, Dominic Narambi. Dom also joined Framestore last year with an incredible track record in project management, having spent time at Technicolor Creative Studios and a number of freelance roles. 
including setting up One Moon in 2020, a global collective of consultant designers, developers, app creators, and of course, project managers. Welcome to the podcast, Engie and Dom. How are you? That was a long intro. Those of you that are listening to this, will, that will be the perfectly crafted intro, but only Dom and Engie know that I messed that up a lot as I went through it. So the power of Sam Sosnowski's editing prowess will have just been demonstrated as you listen to this episode. But welcome both. How are you? Hello. Hey. I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very, very well. And yes, it's a, you're joining us on a lovely sunny day here in London. A lot of our episodes tend to be uh, international affairs. So this is quite nice to have one on British summertime, BST, with uh, a couple of fellow Londoners. Uh, in a London special and of course a refugee week special which I'm very very excited to get into and it was actually Angie your idea because we were going to talk about diversity broadly and we were going to raise the uh, the profile of the, the Framestore Social Equity Board and I think it was around a week or two ago Angie you said actually this lands just after refugee week which as I said in my intro is happening right now yeah. um, but we're going to we're almost reflecting on it when the uh, the episode goes out so thank you for flagging that because it wasn't it wasn't a uh, a recognized week that was on my radar admittedly and uh, a super important one and 25 years deep as a as a recognized um as a recognized uh, institution so yeah shame on me <laughs> no thanks for recognizing it today honestly <laughs> absolutely absolutely and uh another uh shameful uh, so i'm just like apologizing on this podcast today i'm just going to turn this into a, <laughs> a catalog of apologies but I had no idea while, while I was doing the research, Angie, that you uh, you've writ- written a book. Um, as I as I said in the uh, the intro, which uh, I've read the, uh, the the translated first chapter, and um, I know it's uh, it's not fully available in English, is it? Which is a shame because it's okay. it's uh, the, the the English translation is beautiful. Um, and uh, yeah, I've done all my. I've been. I'm watching the the YouTube clips you've done and all the the plaudits, and it's incredible. I mean for. And I hate to sound patronising, somebody so early on in their career, not just the <laughs> journey you've been on, which we'll get into in this podcast, but to have, you know, to also be an author. And I don't, know, I don't know, I just think it's incredible to have you on the podcast. And I'm really, really excited to have this discussion. Thank you so much, Simon. And welcome, Dom. Uh, I think we've agreed I can call you Dom. I never like to assume. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so Dominic, you've also been with Framestore uh, for just uh, just uh, under or over a year. I think both of you yeah, are almost at, at the point of uh, your, your your year's anniversary at Framestore. So it's great to have you have you both on. And I always describe Dom as the the ultimate project manager. You are a machine of a man when it comes to project management. I'm always very impressed with your your knowledge around all things project management. But also, I really value the conversations we've had as part of the Social Equity Board or the conversations we've had have had with the work we do as Access VFX and, and what we need to do more of. But, um, but yeah, how are you? How are you finding your journey at Framestore thus far, Dom? No, journey is good uh, and and ditto. To be honest, I, I do appreciate our conversations. You know, iron sharpens iron uh, in a sense, uh, and so yeah, I really do appreciate. Even though sometimes it's just by the coffee sh- uh, downstairs, uh, and yeah, but it's really appreciated. And thank you for having me, and thank you, Angie, for allowing me to join as well. No, thank you, Dom. Thank you. So let's get into it. Um, I guess the, the what I wanted to talk about, Ng, uh, is the you know the the it's no longer the elephant in the room, but um, you know so, so many people at Framestore won't know your story. Um, so I guess my first question is a nice open question, which is, what does refugee 
week mean to you? Sorry, yeah, it's Refugee Week. I thought it was month. We did all the <laughs> we did all the Women's History Month episodes over three months, so this is actually just one month um, and one episode. Uh, but yeah, what does the week mean to you personally, Angie? Um, so yeah, Refugee Week is yeah, it's really important to me. It's a reminder of what I went through to get to where I am today. Um, it's a part that maybe I tend to forget to do better mentally. Um, but at the end of the day, it is part of who I am and it's important to remember. But most importantly, it's a reminder that even though I made it to where I made it today, there are hundreds of people fleeing every single day who are still getting through this horrible process of asylum, um, who still haven't made it. Um, and also I feel like this week gives the opportunity for everyone to dig a bit deeper into what the world, what the word refugee even means, because a lot of us might not even know. Um, and very interestingly, actually, when you dig a bit deeper into it, you would learn that refugees tend to be tend to come from ethnic minority, first of all. Um, second of all, because of what they went through, because of the wars and all the tragedies, they tend to have uh, long term mental health conditions that puts them to, to have disability. Um, and obviously, when you're a refugee, you have to start a life over. So you come from socioeconomic disadvantaged backgrounds. Um, so just by understanding what the word refugee even means, you understand that refugees meet literally the top demographics that that, that any diversity and inclusion person or any activist in the world um, kind of needs to be aware of. Um, so it's a reminder for all of us to all of us who actually care for any of these demographics um, to be more active and to see what are the different you know laws and legislations that the government is trying to pass on, or you know any government wherever you are to you know put people in prison for fleeing their country and coming here illegally or you know any of the other laws that they're trying to pass on and you know be activists be a bit more activist um in this sense yeah that's a really good answer thank thank you ng and and having done yeah and my research as you know ng more than anyone is usually limited to a, a quick glance on, on linkedin i actually did go onto the the, the the website for your, your book as well and what i was really taken with was that your childhood was, I mean, you mentioned it just now, you know, you only saw war as a child. And I kind of wanted to ask how that's affected, how's that, how, that, how has that affected you now? Uh, you know, now that you're in industry, you're doing your thing, you still have family in Syria. Um, I mean, one of my questions is how, how do you keep so focused? Because you're so bloody good at your job and your role and what you do. You know, it's multifaceted, the kind of responsibilities you have in your role as talent partner. But I'd really love to get under the skin, if you don't mind, in terms of, you know, what what effect has that had on you, having really lost your childhood to that conflict? Um, I think I think that has kind of taught me to be more of a fighter. Um, when you come, obviously, I was also a minority back home. So I was born in a family where both my parents had to be fighters to make it through back home. Um, and also being a minority here as well. Um, and just the process or like the journey that you have to go through to to make your way into this country and actually build a life over when you when I came here you know I was 18 I didn't know anyone um so all of this journey makes me more of a fighter and it teaches me that um I need to know what I want really early on and I need to keep fighting for it until I get to what I need to get to um and that really pays off I think um you know doing what I'm doing because in the diversity inclusion um, area you need to be that kind of a fighter you need to have this patience and you need to be very persistent in your approach to actually make the change happen and so I think it paid off in this way. Wow and you were you were 18 when you came to the UK to seek refuge right? Yeah. 
and then you were 16 when you wrote the, the book so you were right in the the kind of heart of the the conflict and going through that experience when you were 16. Yeah um actually when I was writing the book I was suffering from mental health conditions so I was mm -hmm. um deep into depression um and writing the book was actually my way of facing what has happened and dealing with it um so it's it's a really interesting thing because by the end of the book I was doing a lot mentally and for me that was the journey of going from being deep into it you know being deep into all the shit that has happened um facing it dealing with it slowly um if you would read the book you would see that the character itself is going through that process so I was going through that process with with the character in the book um so yeah it's it's super personal to me yeah yeah totally and uh I'm very interested in talking about you know how you kind of forged I mean you talked about being a fighter and I want to talk about how you forged your your way into a, a successful career and I mean it's not 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 just talking about Framestore I mean I've, I've seen all the write-ups and uh the, the content that you've you've got out there via Norwich University and all the profiles you've built and uh it's really impressive and I'm pretty sure that will come out through the dailies questions when we talk about breaks and learnings and mentors and all that good stuff that's how the podcast is designed hopefully otherwise i will just sit here and talk about your experience for the whole hour and <laughs> yeah we I, I, the podcast the podcast gods will strike me down if i don't go through the, the preordained format but it would be remiss of me uh, dom not to ask you what what this week means to you personally you know what's uh, were you aware of this as a week was is this something that is close to your heart uh i like yourself was not aware about the week uh, to be totally honest but it's something that uh is quite close and personal to me uh, i've got very very close friends uh who came uh, as refugees uh, from my country uh especially in the 2000s uh and you know i was i would go to uh th there's a place in longford uh, where people would be uh, kind of held in a sense and i'd spend a lot of time uh with them and now you know they're, they're very successful people uh, now but actually seeing that journey uh you know through their lens uh was quite eye-opening uh in a sense and then also uh, some discussions i guess yesterday when, when i sat down with you angie as well just uh, just getting to understand the uh, the the trials and tribulations people have to go through uh, just to have the bare minimum uh, in a sense uh in, in a country it's 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 quite eye-opening in a sense yeah thank you thank you for sharing dom and and yeah, I mean, for, you, we talked about that almost the intersectionality of being a refugee that you mentioned earlier, Angie, about both in terms of mental health, in terms of race, in terms of gender, in terms of you know lots and lots of lots of levels. And when we talk about refugees, particularly in this country, I think there's a real stigma or almost like an ignorance is bliss um, situation. Because when we talk about diversity in this country, we go through protected characteristics. I mean, I've been in the diversity game with access for effects for years and we talk about race and we talk about gender and we talk about disability and we talk about mental health but nobody really talks about uh, being a refugee in this country and um, that's why I'm glad we're having this conversation actually and and raising you know raising your profile energy as well I think it's not that it needs raising anymore I think you have a really strong profile but even just within Framestore this is an internal part at the end of the day I think it's super interesting but I just and and, and, and you know we're talking to a potential uh, diversity supplier which I'm still working on um, where we can mentor mentor refugees and, le and learn from them in terms of leadership and, and you know core skills that people need to develop outside of the technical but yeah i don't know before we get into the dailies and i will i will drop the dramatic sound effect soon which is what everybody's of course waiting for but uh, what's your take on that kind of you know almost it's almost kind of like a forgotten diversity characteristic or you know box uh, a box to tick when it's about when you're a refugee is that a fair 
assumption or take from me? Um, yeah, I loved what you said. Um, I think it is a very, sadly, it's a very forgotten demographic, even though it matches the demographics that, you know, we tend to talk about the most. Um, and that's why I think, you know, working with refugees should be on every diversity and inclusion agenda. And, and yeah, it's quite interesting as well. I think that assumption that comes with that, sadly, because you see people in this country, let's say, um, in, you know, in the UK, um, their English isn't really exactly working that much, you know, that well. Um, they're new here. They don't know how to navigate a new country because it's a, you know, different system, different culture, all of this. And the assumption that comes with that, sadly, is that we assume that they've got nothing because they don't have connections or they st they're starting a life over. So we assume that they've got nothing. And it is true in a sense that they don't have a house, they don't have money, they don't have connections, but also they bring with them the skills. They bring with them the experiences that they've went through. They have this amazing resilience, um, this, you know, this motivation. Um, they will take anything they can take and make the most out of it because of what they went through. Um, and don't forget that before they came to the UK or, you know, US or any country from wherever our, you know, people listening from, um, these people have had lives before they needed to start their life over. And in these lives, they were someone. One of them would have been an engineer. One of them would have been a teacher. One of them would have been an artist. And when they were doing these jobs, they had skills, right? Um, so I think we tend to forget about that completely when we are, you know, talking about refugees. There's almost a, a, a real stereotype attached to being a refugee, isn't there? You know, in terms of when people, when people typically think of refugee, they'll think of, they won't think of somebody like you in a visual effects company smashing it. They'll think of somebody on the street begging for money, or you know, you, you, if that. I mean, it's, it's calling yeah. it as it is, but that's what people think. And yeah. it's, and then you've got kind of the the fist waving kind of Brexiteers, you know, complaining about immigration and all that and all that malarkey as well. And I just think there's a real, really heavy duty stereotype attached to to being a refugee, which is really rubbish, yeah. and really sad. And, and like you say, I mean, we had a quite an interesting exchange. Was it last year, Angie? You know, I have my my film club with my friends, and one of the films we watched was The Swimmers. Yeah, and I think uh, through our conversations we had, it was you know, I enjoyed it, but I felt like it was quite a romanticised um, uh, uh, version of what it is to be a refugee. As much as there were heavy duty scenes in there when they're, they're yeah. all in the, the rubber dinghy that's kind of you know about to sink in the middle of the ocean, and it was you know a, a you know terrible watch, but it had a real you know not every refugee is going to win gold at the Olympic Games, right? Yeah, yeah, no. And, and in real life, that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, but I think also really, exactly. like, it's something really important if you're trying to learn about what it's like to be a refugee is not to only watch one film and, you know, exactly. feel like you've figured it out because each person, you know, experienced it very differently. Um, and even though, you know, you might, I mean, the swimmers, they were from Syria as well, but you watching that, assuming that you figured out what my culture was like back home is also not right because the same way there's so many different cultures, you know, in the UK, even back in Syria, there are so many different cultures. Um, so if you want to actually understand it, try to keep an open mind and, you know, try to, to watch many different movies, documentaries, talk to as many people as you can, because each person can represent different part of the experience, I would say. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Right. Before I drop the dramatic sound effect, Dom, anything else you want to throw into the conversation? We're going to keep talking about Refugee Week as we go through the dailies. So I'm not doing that. I'm not putting a stake in the ground. But is there anything you wanted to to add to that discussion don before i no 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 just really waiting for the sound effect now this it is going to drop in, <laughs> hear it in, in the edit. all right well let's do it then are you ready how are you feeling ng you've seen the questions yeah don won't know which ones i'm going to ask him because they're always random but for you ng you have to answer all of them that's the, that's the deal but you're ready you're feeling good <laughs> yeah 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 
All right, okay, well, unleash the dramatic sound effect. And we are in to the dailies. And Angie, my first question is, uh, who, and we've established a lot of this already, which I tend to do on the podcast a lot, which is uh, who, where, what? Who are you? Where are you? And what are you working on? Only if you're allowed to talk about it, which you might be able to, because I'm used to talking to artists and producers who can never <laughs> talk about shows, but perhaps Angie yeah. can talk about some of your projects. So I think who I am, you've you've been calling me Angie for the past 10 minutes, so they, they know my name. Um, what do I do? I'm a talent partner for outreach um, and inclusion, which you've already also mentioned. Um, what I do is kind of split into two main bits. So the first bit, that's outreach. Um, with outreach is kind of um, collaborating with external parties to make um, the film industry more accessible. Um, and that that mainly includes, you know, hosting the schools. I don't know if you've, you've been in the London building, you would see a lot of schools coming in. Um, so hosting all the different schools, um, running different workshops with them, trying to, um, you know, trying to um, help them to develop their transferable skills that they would need to get into university or apprenticeship or a job later on in their lives. And um, so that's definitely definitely a big part of it. And then the other big part of, you know, the outreach work is if we want to fix their presentation that we have at Framestore in the studio or the, pre the representation generally in the film industry or the VFX industry, we need to start quite early on. Um, and that's why the outreach program is there to start working with kids, you know, from the, from the age of five or seven up to, you know, the time when they start actually getting a job. Um, and the reason for doing that is because, you know, early on they will be choosing at school if they want to do, you know, a creative subject or a not creative subject or a technology subject or not. Um, so it's quite good to start working with them this early on for them to know that the VFX industry exists and they can actually get a job and, you know, work in this cor um, corporate, you know, environment or a non-corporate environment up to them. But for them to know that a job actually exists and they can get paid for their passion, um, that's something really important for them to know, especially that we're trying to target schools from disadvantaged areas or schools with high percentages of, of people from ethnic minorities. Um, I think that's a great way to fix their presentation in the long, long term. And the other part of my job, uh, that's diversity and inclusion. Um, and that's working to attract diverse talent. Um, you know, making sure that there is no discrimination throughout the recruitment process um, for anything to do with, you know, gender, sexual orientation, disability, um, any anything like that. Um, and also making sure that once we have this diverse talent at Framestore, we are capable of retaining them. Um, they feel a sense of belonging. They feel like they can be themselves. They feel recognized and seen. Um, and also hopefully training the leadership team to know how to support that diverse talent that we have. Um, and a lot of the work happens through, you know, both of you know quite well, you know, the social equity board that leads that agenda um, and the amazing supporting groups that we have, um, you know, the working groups. We have the events working group, the marketing working group and the training working groups. And they all consist of a beautiful representation of, you know, artists, people from the support team, the technology team from all the offices that we have. Um, so, yeah, quite exciting. It's a big old role when you think about it, because it's about outreach, bringing diverse talent into industry and into frame store. But then you have this whole education piece internally about changing mindsets. And I know you've developed uh, 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 bias training sessions and, and, and really trying to get, uh, get, get people, you know, changing mindsets ultimately. Uh, so it's a huge gig when you think about it. I mean, in 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 the last year, what have you learned about about time management and uh, 
and, and just keeping sane because that's a you know and, and you know you when you know the social equity board i mean i when i was writing the intro as you know i put you down as the lead, uh, the chair of the board and i think you corrected me saying no. actually no it's amy yeah, smith no. and i'm like well <laughs> you run all the meetings you're getting you're corralling people you're gathering people you're winning hearts and minds amy does as well amy listens to all these podcasts so you know and the viewer, of course you do all that too but you're 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 the face of it. You send the emails out. You're connecting with all these brilliant guest Agreed. speakers. I mean, yeah. How do you? What have you learnt around? And I'm sure Dominic will be interested in this from a project management point of view as well. You know, how do you keep <laughs> all those plates spinning? Um, I I don't think about it as much. I think it goes when it goes. But I think because I I love it so much, I always have energy to kind of do all of it. Um, I think that's the main part. I I love the social equity board meetings like the kind of questions that are being asked there, the kind of concerns that they bring to the table is beautiful. Um, and seeing, you know, people who have other roles, but they still have this passion for diversity and inclusion gives me so much energy. So definitely having that motivation and energy really helps. Um, but also working next to Amy, Amy, this incredible person who knows when to kind of give me space when I need that space um, to, to do my own time management and manage things my way, but also is always there for me whenever I need support and help. So having her like literally by my side and being my manager is really, really helpful in that sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Amy's, uh, Amy's brilliant. I mean, we all, we all have learned loads from Amy with uh, the Axis VFX work and uh, yeah, everything we do, we do at Framestore as well. So she's a, she's a huge, a huge uh, asset to the industry, really. Anyway, yeah. Amy, that's it. That's all we're talking about, about you now. We're done. We're, we've, <laughs> <laughs> we've celebrated Amy Smith. We're here to talk to, to NG Jeru. Um So, Question two is, again, I, I need to change the questions because I've already answered them in my intro, but um, how long have you worked here, NG? How long have you been at Framestore? When was the, I think you're almost approaching your anniversary date, aren't you, this month? Yeah, I just had it last week. Hey, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, since June, basically, last year. Okay. Well, I'll move swiftly on from that one because we all know that. But uh, what I'm really interested in, and I teased this out in uh, our preamble conversation, is how did you get your break in the visual effects industry, particularly coming through that, that you know, yeah, your, your, your hunt for asylum and being a refugee to getting into the visual effects industry? Mm -hmm. And when I talk about break, just to caveat that, whenever I talk about it on all the podcasts, I don't just mean the, how you got your break at Framestore. It's almost like when was the moment, when was the big break for you on that timeline where it's like, yes, this is what I want to do or this is the moment? Um, so I, I got a full scholarship Thank God for it. <laughs> I got a full scholarship to study animation at Norwich University of the Arts. Um, when I started the course, I never really had access to technology. <laughs> um, and it was a 3D course. So I kind of signed up myself for something that I was not prepped for. Um, so first year was absolutely hectic, like not even knowing how to use Photoshop, but also trying to learn Maya. Um, crazy. Um, and throughout my studies, I was doing three part-time jobs because I needed to start a life over, right? Um, and because I also needed to kind of get to know people, um, you know, in the country and, um, yeah, trying to get a bit of transferable skills for later. So I was doing three part-time jobs. Um, one was actually with the outreach team at the university. And then one was with the recruitment team at the university. And then the third one was as a PA for documentaries. Um, for Al Arabi TV, which is an Arabic speaking channel for the Middle East and North Africa. Um, so I was kind of jiggling these while I was doing the course. And throughout my second year, I started to realize that being stuck on my screen for 15 hours a day, doing the Maya work was sucking up my energy, but going out and doing these other part-time jobs were giving me that energy because I was surrounded by people doing all the communication stuff. Um, 
So it made me realize that maybe being an artist isn't what is most suited for me. I want to do something else, but in the industry. And that's when I started to think maybe something to do with production. Um, towards the end of my year, I signed up to get a mentor from Access VFX. Hey. Very, very thankful for that. Um, at that point, I was trying to write my CV and you do, you know, do all the applications. And I didn't even know what is the right terminology to use to apply for a job. Like, I didn't even know that production was, you know, what production is, what I know it to be. Um, and I didn't know how to ask for what I wanted, what kind of job I was looking for, even knowing the right terminology. So even having that mentor who looked over my CV and helped me out quite a lot with that was really helpful. Um, I sent my applications through and I got um, an interview to be a runner at Framestore. Um, and then I had this interview with, with the incredible Annie. Um, and then from that, I kind of talked a bit about my work with the outreach and the recruitment team back at the university. And then she offered me a second interview with Ian, our head of recruitment in London. Um, and then I jumped on a meeting with him. And then he was like, third meeting with Amy, jumped on a meeting with Amy. And then you know how Amy is. I don't need to explain what Amy's like, but you know how Amy is. She just disappeared for a few days. And then she came back and she was like, right, so we made up this role. Um, I read the description, even though I was actually offered a PA positions by two other studios, just reading the description that Amy has written, it just felt like it was the perfect position for me. I never thought that I could actually work in diversity and inclusion. Funnily enough, I did my dissertation while I was studying on diversity and inclusion yeah. in the film industry. Never thought I would ever actually use it or work in it. Um, but yeah, reading that description and I was like, yeah, hell yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that's, that's it really. It's a, it's a great journey. It's a great journey. And cracky, three part-time jobs That's and studying at the same time. Yeah. That's impressive. I had no friends, not going to lie. <laughs> no, no time for friends. That's, that's, that's amazing, amazing. And uh, yeah, a great journey for sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, NUA is a great university. I know a lot of the... Uh, the, uh, the kind of course leaders from, from that part of the world and they're members of Access VFX. So I imagine they would have really, really championed the Access VFX mentor. Yeah. I, I imagine yeah. that's where you, yeah, that's where you got it that from. Program. Yeah. Amazing. Big shout out. Was it, was it St. John by any chance when he was there before he went to Escape Studios? Um, no, it was actually Anand Ramish. Ah, good shout. Oh, the yes, new, of course. Anand, yeah, he's not a yeah. course leader, but he's like one of the main, he's like, awesome, main yeah. a senior. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. He was at yeah. FMX recently and came to our yeah, F yeah. Uh, Access VFX mixer. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Good. Well, it, it fills it fills my heart up hearing stories where uh, the Axis VFX program has, has helped people some somewhere along the way and been part of their story. So, uh, mm -hmm. thanks for thanks for getting involved with it. And you, I'm sure you get to shout out your your mentor at some point during the the relevant <laughs> questioning again. Podcast gods, um, Dom. I'd love to hear about your journey actually because uh, you've uh, you've. I mean, I, my question about your career path, Dom, is. When I think of project management, I almost think it's about the craft rather than the industry, and then the industry almost finds you. I don't know what was your your journey into kind of the the visual effects arena, so to speak. Um, my my journey. How long do you have? Uh, well, um, <laughs> we'll get you on as a guest in, some, some, in the yeah, future, no, I'm sure. Don't. Agreed. For for me, my my journey maybe it started uh when i was in the finance uh, industry working at hsbc uh, as a risk analyst um i was just given more responsibility in terms of 
just one small project, even though I didn't really know how to run a project and I was uh, more kind of doing the numbers behind uh, the things. And then when I started working on, on, on that particular project, uh, looking after the litigation uh, team, that's when kind of the spark uh, hit uh, in a sense. Um, and then from that, I became a recover recovery strategy manager. Then from then, that's when I then left and then started doing a bit more freelance work. Uh, and then um, we started One Moon uh, with, with uh, two other partners and we worked for like Vodafone. We did stuff for Mardi Gras for, we did stuff uh, for Marks and Spencers. And then a part of me thought, uh, I still kind of need to grow and understand uh, a bit more. And then uh, I got in touch uh, with, uh, yeah, I applied for a, a job uh, really with uh, Technicolor. And then uh, from then on, uh, I kind of started working closely uh, with my then manager and the COO. Uh, looking after the film portfolio and it was a roller coaster but it was still very kind of really learning a lot uh, about the project management principles understanding about risk management uh, but then also kind of going a lot more into finance and understanding about that particular world and so I was then able to grow really as a person uh, especially with the, the COO I was I was under because he also had a project management experience and so it was really understanding the true principles of it. everybody has project management in in their jobs really if we go deeply into it uh, but it's really kind of honing into the particular skills about benefits realization understanding what it is that you want to kind of measure and, and it's more of a supportive function you're not there to be the loudest person in the room you're there to listen and be very attentive and to keep bits and understanding about what are the actions and decisions that we need to be able to drive and and support people to reach that uh, the goals that they want uh, in a sense so so yeah that's kind of a condensed <laughs> thank you we'll, uh, we'll get the full version when we get you on as a guest in the future yeah. Tom. you're on my official hit list for sure <laughs> um but yeah i mean i've uh, i've seen your your dashboard various dashboards on confidence that you've created and uh, i think you're right though that everybody has elements of project management in their their role because we all work on projects don't we and stuff and things yeah. Um, but man, if anybody wants to give Dom a shout and check out his dashboard, check out his dashboards, they're nuts. They're, it's like landing a plane kind of stuff. It's, it's amazing. You. It's like next level in terms of my, how my brain works. But uh, yeah, yeah, amazing. Thank you for sharing that, Dom. And um, yeah, a bit, a bit about your career path. So I'm going to move into uh, the self-confessed cheesy question, the corny question, which is what's the best thing about being part of Framestore, Angie? Woo! God, I love Framestore. There's so much. Um... I think I would say the diversity of frames. I know it's something that we are still working on, but I, I love how diverse it is um, at the moment. Um, I find that so when, you know, me and Amy are trying to find one approach that works with everyone, um, we just can't find one approach that works with everyone because every single person is different. Um, and that is the most challenging part of what we do, but also it's the most exci exciting part of being at Framestore. You know, I have a group that I can talk to about my passion for dancing. I have a group that I can talk to about diversity and inclusion, a group for uh, partying, a group for talking about books and films, a group for everything. Um, and I love that. Excellent. We need to set these up more formally. I'm definitely down for some of those groups. Uh, I won't be able to keep up with the partying group at my age, but maybe yeah, the, the, the book and film group for sure. 
Um, thank you. And yeah, the diversity is a really interesting point, not just in terms of your, your role, NG, but and, and I always forget the number, you might know, because I know Amy's mentioned it a few times, is the amount of languages that are spoke in London alone, something like 50-something? Yeah, languages? we have over 52, yeah. 52, that's the number. It's yeah, amazing. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I can't think of that many languages. If you ask me to say, you know, shout out 52 languages, I'd probably get to 30 and, and run out of steam. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's incredible, and that's just London, let alone the rest of the... Uh, uh, the global the global frame store setup so uh, yeah great great answer what about you dom what's uh, again a year in at frame store what's the best thing about working at frame store for you i think it's the people uh yeah. to be honest uh, they're, they're very very open very uh, yeah very very open willing to help everywhere no matter where you go uh, and that to me is what attracts me i've worked for so many different companies and it's the first company i've seen where everybody's very open um so yeah that that to me the the people really sold this to me yeah no i mean it, it, everybody says it on every episode but it's true it shows you've been yeah. listening to the podcast both honestly yeah. it's, like, <laughs> it's a stock answer you really get a different answer but it's, it's it's super true i mean when i was looking for i mean when i was looking for work so i was at the mill for seven years and part of technicolor creative studios at the time and i left that that world and I got out of VFX. I was a point where I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of done a little bit. And I went to work for PlayStation for a bit. And then I got the uh, the email from uh, from William Sargent. And it's the only it's the only studio that would have got me back into visual effects. I think just because it always had that that culture, always had that reputation about people first. And uh, yeah, I mean, as soon as it, yeah, as soon as I was offered it, there was there was no there was no question in terms of my decision. But uh, I don't think I would have gone back to another big another big studio if that makes sense mm. it's classic godfather yeah. three moment you know just when i thought i was out they they pulled me back pulled in. You back in yeah, yeah. <laughs> great line not the best of the godfather films but a great great yeah. line. <laughs> movie club then she set it up anyway um next <laughs> next question i'm getting into my, my favorite questions now which is what is a common myth about your job role or field of expertise um, what comes to mind probably too, I think when people read my title being talent partner, they assume that I'm a recruiter. Yeah. I'm not. I have nothing to do with that. Um, the other, th the other myth that I think is very common uh, and it's not talked about that much is people assume that for you to work in the diversity and inclusion agenda, you have to be from an, you know, an ethnic minority or you have to have a disability or you have to, you know, match certain demographics. And um, that's the only way to have enough knowledge in order to work in this space. Um, but I think what I've learned actually working in this space that you don't need to be an ethnic minority. You don't need to have a disability. You don't need to match any of these demographics to work in this space. All you need is to be a good ally, um, to care enough and to actually be very, very educated. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that is that is really important. Yeah, that is one of the biggest myths, I think. Yeah. I completely agree. I, I get asked all the time about my role in Access VFX and a lot of people, they'll ask me all the questions about what are you doing, mentoring program, blah, blah, blah. I always get asked, why do you do it? And I know they ask that be normally because I'm, I'm kind of white, middle class, yeah, male. Um, I have one diversity characteristic now, which is age, because that's just kind of caught up with me. Mm. <laughs> Everything else, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe slightly, slightly working class, but that's it. I can't <laughs> claim to be a card carrying member of any real diversity characteristic. But people always ask me, and it was always because I almost see it as, I mean, it's quite, uh, it's quite fortuitous. You're on on the podcast, Dom. Is I see it as a project. I see it as creating a change. I see it as and for the good of the industry, mm. you know, because I think mm. one of the assumptions around diversity related roles is people think it's this worthy cause you're in it because it's a worthy cause and it, you sleep well at night because you're doing something good and it, it for me it's partly a bit of that but mostly it's to do with commercial and, and creative 
because you do your best creative work when there's difference in the room and new perspectives and yeah. ideas and, 100%. and yeah. all of that brings in the brings in the cash right it brings in the money it's the commercial piece you know people want to commission interesting work not stuff that's just been uh sheep dipped through a, a process uh, uh, that everybody's agreed in i was a group think and stuff anyway sorry i'm getting onto my soapbox it's not about me this is a great <laughs> answer ng great great answer <laughs> is that fair to say sorry i'll go on these weird tangents and just hope no, you no, agree with me for sure 100 percent. wicked thank you so we're going to get into lessons learned ng what's the most important lesson you've learned over your your career to date it's only a year so <laughs> it's not it's not that yeah i can't reflect that much you know but um i would say the most important one that i am still kind of figuring out as i'm going still um is i i tend to be a perfectionist so when something goes wrong i go through this phase of being really frustrated with myself um and i realize over time that this is such a waste of time this like phase of frustration um so what i'm trying to learn um with time is to kind of reduce that frustration phase to to make it as short as it can be so i can jump right away into problem solving rather than yeah. wasting time on frustration i think that is the biggest thing that i'm working on right now for me yeah how do you minimize that out of interest because i'm asking out of personal interest because i still have <laughs> the same same affliction um i think better control of emotions okay. um I think I tend to be a very emotional person so my emotions sometimes can cloud my judgment and cloud you know me thinking in a very logical way so I try to calm the emotions down um and then focus on seeing things logically and that's a really good way for me to get to problem solving right away but then my emotions have to be released other ways so that's when I do maybe a lot of sports or dancing or you know I watch films and cry with the films <laughs> so I try to release my emotions outside of work hours so I'm very logical during work hours yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I mean, again, yeah, that's really important. I mean, we talked about it on the the presentation skills training about uh, it's more important to do do something uh, well rather than doing it right, which I really resonated with me with part of the research of putting together that content. But that that stayed with me as well. Is just make sure you do it well because that unleashes mm. creativity, doesn't it? Rather than trying to kind of tick all the all the boxes with a particular project or or, or a challenge you have on, on your hands. What about you, Dom? What's the most important lesson you've learned in your your career, whether it's at Framestore or previously uh it's to listen um that that to me has always been uh, and and i'll always kind of repeat it it's not really about being the loudest person in the room it's just making sure you are listening and being attentive to to key things uh, and not just necessarily to what people are saying just also to people's body language just getting to understand people a lot more uh, sometimes people already come with the ideas and what they want to achieve at the end without having to listen to everybody else in a sense, but actually just being very attentive to everybody and being flexible. Obviously, we're trying to get to this particular place, but how can we get there together uh, in a sense? Yeah. And that that's what I've learned. Yeah, I wish I'd learned that a long time ago. I, don't, I think it's uh, come up a lot on various podcasts and conversations probably for me in the last four or five years. But the yeah. idea of kind of being truly present whether it's work or even relationships and personal life and just being in the moment and not kind of practicing what you're going to say next all the time in your head. Yeah. I mean, it applies to mentoring, it applies to project management, it applies to interviews, recruitment, everything in life in many ways, you know, just listen to that perspective because yeah, your idea might not be the best one in the room and, you know, and it's okay to step back and go, actually, yeah, let's go down that road rather than my preordained ideas. Um, it's a big one. It's a huge one listening and it comes up a lot, you know, active listening rather than just being on receive. Agreed. 
Thank you both. Um, right, we're getting into kind of the final uh, five, six questions where we really get into the, the meat of kind of mentoring, careers advice. And on that, NG, I'm going to ask you, and you might have a few because we've teased out a few names already, is who's been your most important professional mentor or mentors? We'd like a few notable mentions. <laughs> I mean, definitely Access VFX, as I was saying earlier, during the process of applying for a job. Um, also, I had Lion... Thompson, I think his surname is, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, um, who is uh, my mentor uh, from the Global Mentorship Scheme. Um, so that has been amazing to also yeah. have him. Um, and obviously Amy. Yeah. Very, very grateful for the three of them. Yeah. Good, good. What makes them great mentors? Oh, do they all bring something different to the, to the mentoring table? Definitely each of them are very different. Um, that's one. Second, they're active listeners, as you were saying earlier. Mm -hmm. um, I think to be a good mentor, you need to be listening. Yeah, um, and they're very creative um, in their suggestions in how I can tackle things. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, incredible. Brilliant. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I mean, the, the best mentors are listeners and sounding boards. Sorry, I'm, I'm speaking to all the training that I've done on mentoring recently. I'm not just regurgitating <laughs> content, but... That's the thing that we, I always take from those conversations is somebody who can just be there and listen to you, but still give you that creativity, that that focus, that allow you to come to your own conclusions and, and actions. Yeah. Brilliant. Love that. And uh, what about you, Dom? I'd love to hear about your your notable mentors over the years. It's nice to shout people out. I've had a few, uh, but I'd say the greatest one was probably my dad, uh, who, who died two years ago. But uh, no, basically, he he was a church leader he ran a church in eight different continents and uh, wow. as we're growing up he would like take us to like leadership sessions and i would hate it so <laughs> much uh, i'll be i'd rather be outside and playing but what i then figured out actually what he was trying to teach us was just to have those leadership qualities uh, in a sense and now that i actually know about the principles of leadership i can actually map it back to the things that he was also teaching people back in the days and being able to uh, listen once again but also embrace change and which is why i also went on a change management course and even though he hadn't actually done it i can actually map back to the things that he actually taught me wow. uh, as well so uh, yeah, my dad was very influential in, in getting me uh, to where I am uh, here. Yeah, sounds like a natural, being in, in the church, like a natural leader. Like you talked about, you had to go on a course to learn about change management where your dad just had it in, in spades, yeah. I imagine. Yeah, you know, walking across eight continents. And that, yeah, that's but I used to hate it, though. We all, yeah. Well, you know, you were a, you were a kid. Yeah. yeah exactly. Dragged by your ear. <laughs> Picture it now. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you both for sharing those incredible mentors from lots of different walks of life. That's That's incredible. Um, now this is an interesting question. And again, I, I love these questions. They're so good. Um, maybe not the early questions where I ask you questions that I've already covered, but these questions about kind of uh, tools and stuff is NG, what underrated tools or tool are indispensable for you to get the job done? I think the one that is most underrated is the skill of knowing our people. Um, I feel like in order to do good and diversity and inclusion you need to know the people of the company um yeah. first of all because you know diversity and inclusion is a group effort it's not a responsibility on the, the person who's actually doing that work um so i try as much as i can i tend to work from from fifth floor which is the cafeteria area um so i'm always there on my laptop for people to come approach talk to me about anything i think that is really important um, but also, you know, trying to be as in as many socials as I can, try to talk to the new faces that I see. Um, 
I think that is that is really important. Like right. as simple as if we're trying to set up a diversity and inclusion calendar, which we worked on, um, I need I can't set that up myself. I can't, you know, from myself decide what kind of let's say um, Muslim holidays we should recognize, what kind of Jewish holidays we should recognize. That's not up for me to decide on. And that's where knowing our people comes in really handy yeah. uh, because I would know who to talk to to ask them to suggest, you know, priority dates, for example. Um, or let's say there's an event happening, Black History Month, for example. I would know who to talk to. I, I have my people that I can go talk to and, and get ideas from them. Um, so, yeah, just knowing our people really helps to make it a group effort. Yeah, I love that. I mean, there's two parts to that, isn't there? There's knowing our people and then there's just having, just asking the question and just going, look, yeah, I need help here. And I'm not the, you know, your point around not being the, the go-to person for EDI for 3,000 um, employees. I mean, that's just insane. So it is obviously it takes, it takes more than a village in many ways. It takes a city um, in, terms of, in terms of people involved. Um, so that's a, that's a really, really, really strong point. And I will testify to that because I see you all over the building talking to people. You've got this real um, natural kind of affinity with people, which I, and I don't know whether that comes from what we talked about earlier about the, the resilience and motivation and that fighting spirit that you had to had to uh, adopt mm. at, at a very young age. And we talked about the lack of any real traditional childhood, if that's fair to say, to being kind of, uh, you know, somebody who's just a year into their role and already you're the tantamount networker and, that takes years of experience. I mean, I know people in their 30s who are terrified of shaking people's hands and going to events and connecting with people. Do you think that that you know, almost that's armed you to, for these kind of situations? Or do you, where's that, where does that natural affinity come from, NG? That's probably more my question. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, I think if you've, you've said it right. Um, I think what also is a big part of it is maybe something that's a bit sad for me, but it's kind of good for the job in a way that. I was a minority back home and I'm a minority here, so I'm constantly in in an identity crisis. There is no one culture that I identify with. I tried to. I lived in also different countries on the process of getting here, um, so I've I've interacted with many different cultures. There's stuff I like, you know, about each culture that I've taken, you know, into my to build my own little culture of myself. Um, but what I'm trying to say is not being coming from one. Being a refugee means that you don't come from one culture because of the journey that you go through. Um, and that has helped me to stay quite open-minded to what other cultures have got to offer. And because of that, I feel like I can connect better with people because I have parts of me that they can relate to, if that makes sense. Um, I complicated it in the way I explained it, but I no, hope you it didn't at all. You didn't at all, you nailed it. I think it is about, you know, that, it's about having affinity with lots of different people because you, you had to growing up I think uh, but even down to your experience in education in the UK I mean I, I, I completely forgot I knew you were at NUA but I didn't know that you'd studied animation and actually that must give you some credibility with artists right that you you know your way around Maya because I don't know I'm yeah terrified of it. we had work experience in last week they opened Maya and were animating stuff I've never I mean I can open the program and that's it but you know again that kind of almost you've got so many different layers of affinity not just in terms of the cultural piece and the journey you've been on um, but also just your approach to education industry, the courses you've done, you know, you've been, you know, you've been at King's College. You, uh, I almost thought you were, I mean, I did have to check that you were, were well, you a graduate of Oxford University? I'm like, what am I, what? <laughs> um, you did a writing course there, but still awesome that you did that. Um, anyway, Thank just, you, you know, I'm, I'm fanboying a bit over here, but I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a great answer. Thank you, Angie. Thank you. I've got to ask you, Dom, as a project manager, I think we've all got a lot to learn about what is an indispensable tool for you to do your job. What have you got for us? Uh, 
for me, I think that for me specifically, I think it's delegation um, yeah. and promoting autonomy at the right levels. Um, I it's it's really kind of getting people to own things and being able to let go of things and not not necessarily always wanting to be the one that's making all the decisions because I also mm-hmm. think it helps other people to grow and to learn their skill set uh, as well. Uh, so really, I think it's delegation and autonomy. Yeah, yeah, really, really strong. Delegation is huge. Again, something I'm I'm learning in this role, but it's uh, so important to empower people, give them yeah responsibility, accountability. What's yeah. the word? Oh, God, I'm getting into racy. Accountability. <laughs> Consulting. <laughs> Consulted. Uh, wow, that just happened naturally. Yeah. That was amazing. Um, thank you. Thank you, Dom. Um, so getting into the, the golden nugget of advice then. So, Angie, what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone starting out in your field or starting out in the industry? I think this is something that I always say, resilience. Um, I think you need really strong res- resilience to make your way in. Um, because the industry is really competitive and you might send your application once and twice and three times and keep sending until you make your way through. Um, and you're going to get in one day, obviously, because at the end of the day, they need people to do the work. Um, it's just a matter of having that patience and resilience to, you know, put a portfolio together, put a showreel, send it. Okay, not good enough to get me the job that I need. I'm going to go back to it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to send it again. Right, not good enough. That's fine. I'm going to go back to it. Keep working, sending it again. So just having that resilience and, again, that fighting spirit to just yeah. know what you want. You're going to get it one day for sure, but it's just a matter of how much fighting you need to do to get to where you want to get to. Um, and I think you do need to be a good fighter to make your way in, especially if you don't have connections. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your testament to that, Angie, as we've already established, but I think it's a huge one, isn't it? It's about, it's not just about not taking no for an answer. It's almost seeing it as a, and again, it's going back to the kind of that project management theme we're talking about as well is like, you know, you know, taking the advice, tweaking approach, tweaking, you know, you know, changes to whether it's a reel or CV or how you interview, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's all about sharpening your tool set, isn't it? At the end of the day, and you can't do that without taking those hits along the way. It's very rare that you apply for that, that first job and you get it, you know, it happens. Okay. Yeah. Very rarely. But it, yeah. And again, it goes back to the squiggly career paths. I always talk about, you know, you, Nobody has that diagonal line to success. There's always these peaks and troughs and setbacks and life events and all kinds of stuff that happens to us as human mm. beings along the way. What about you, Dom? Piece of advice for people listening who want to get into either your role or the industry as a whole. Um, I, I, I like the resilience that you mentioned because, yeah, this is a extremely tough uh, industry. But also, I think it's okay to not know, but you must be willing to learn uh, and learn quickly uh that's i i'm I'm okay with people who who are not necessarily not not knowing everything but you must be able to show that you can learn uh and and put in that hard work uh, to be able to get to where you need to get to yeah it's almost both resilience and adaptability and being yeah i mean again it talks about we talk about this a lot of careers events about you know you can teach the tech stuff can't you but it's all about the a lot of times about the team player and elements and the collaborative spirit and actually being a good person not just being an absolute technical whiz in Maya or whatever software we're talking about so some really really strong advice there from you both thank you okay right this is another big one ng uh big big question one of the most important questions because it means i get to do my research which is uh what's one question you wish i'd asked you and how would you answer it no, I'm not doing this. No. <laughs> I have no idea. You reserve the right to. We've had it before. We've had it before. 
love that. First refusal on the podcast. Yeah, I don't know. You've asked such amazing questions. I, I have nothing to add. Brilliant. No. no, I mean, I usually caveat though that question with, what's one question you wish I'd asked you and how would you have answered it? Or have I absolutely aced it? So thank you. I'll aced take it. it as a compliment. Brilliant. Okay, well, an equally important question is, who would you like to hear from on the podcast next and why? Whose voice would you like? Who would you want to be put through this grilling? Um, I don't have a specific name, but I would say... Um, being based in London and going into the office really often, I tend to know quite well all the people, pretty much all the people who come in. At least I I know a bit about them, but I don't tend to interact at all with people who are fully remote. Um, so I would love to have more people who are fully, fully remote so I can get to know who they are, you know, what do they do, what do they enjoy, what do they do in their own free time. I think that would be really cool to hear about. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's a really interesting. We've not had that take before. And mm. it's, it's a good one because there's a, there's a number of people who moved completely out of uh, out of London during the pandemic and are exclusively working from home. So I'm going to find out who those people are. So if you're listening in the comfort of your uh, <laughs> your home office, I, I may be I may be coming for you. How about you, Dom? Out of interest, anybody you'd like to hear on the pod? Who would I like to hear? Um, that's a good question. Uh, Mark Wilson. Has he ever been on this podcast? He has not. Yeah. Right. Mark, if he's one of our listeners, because I know some people just still just discovering the podcast, um, yeah, we'll get we'll get Mark on as well. I, I see a Christmas special in uh, Mark's future, I think. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> awesome. Thank you both. Right. That's the core part of the dailies. But of course, the real reason why people listen to this podcast is to get into the uh, the, uh, the the fun pairing question, which is if you could eat one meal for the rest of your life, NG, what would it be? I feel like for this one, it has to be a good combination of something Italian, but also something spicy, because I love spice. So I think that would be Mexican, because Mexican has the cheese, the sweet corn, the mushrooms, mm. but also has the spice and the avocado. That's it for me. Anything Mexican, I would take for the rest of my life. Cool. Well, I'm going to have to press you on that, because it's a very general answer, NG, <laughs> saying Mexican <laughs> food. If you if you were going to go to, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to name check. We're not that popular a podcast yet, but I'm still not going to name check um, restaurants unless they want to sponsor us. Um, but if we're going to a well-known Mexican eatery, what would you order? Um, tacos. I love tacos. tacos. That's so t- typical. That's not even that authentically Mexican. <laughs> I'm sorry for our Mexican listeners. Yeah. There's nothing. But I love tacos. tacos. Yeah. Look, look, we had Ellen Boss on talking about uh, McDonald's, so it's this is this is okay. It's okay. This is fine. The tacos okay. is all good. Amazing. What about you, Tom? What's your go-to? Uh, for me, uh, it's one of our traditional. It's called sadza and stew, I guess. Yeah. Uh, sadza is kind of like mealy meal with which is kind of like grounded and whatnot. That for me, I could eat it all the time. That sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah. I shouldn't record these things at lunchtime. It's uh, just gone twelve o'clock in the UK and already starting to celebrate. And I do love, yeah, yeah, yeah. All sounds awesome. Thank you both. Okay, final final question before we wrap up part one is: uh, we still have the Framestore Podcast Dailies playlist. God, I'm like, oh, I've got to change the title of the playlist, haven't I? The Spotify playlist uh, where people um, share, based on Sergio Gonzalez episode one, share what music they listen to while they're working course you're out and about at events all the time ng but when you do do your deep work my question is a do you listen to music and b can you give us a track that we can put on the playlist okay um <laughs> so i only listen that's really weird but i only listen to belly dance music 
Awesome. Um, so I would be literally working on something really, really serious on third floor <laughs> in the office with my headphones in, and the music goes dun 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 dun, dancing in my head. <laughs> so if you've ever seen me like move really weirdly on my desk, that's the music I'm listening to. You can't not move to belly dance music. Exactly. You can't. No. There well, I'll be pressing you for a track from what your your playlist to get on the, uh, the the daily Spotify playlist. What about you, Don? What can we put on from your uh, your deep work? I can't beat belly dance music, man. You can't. It's a tough act to follow. <laughs> um, I was listening to the Ocean's Eleven soundtrack. Uh, oh, David Holmes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's that was pretty cool. So anything from that. That's great right. when you're walking into work and you feel like you're just about to pull off a heist. A yeah, exactly. Heist. <laughs> Love that proper hero music. Okay, well, I'll, I'll be getting a track from that soundtrack as well, Dom. Thank you both. I really enjoyed our conversation, but we're not done yet because we're going to be back on Thursday where Dom's going to take over and uh, continue the conversation, Angie. But thank you both. That was a wonderfully rich conversation and uh, I'm excited for uh, part two. So thank you both. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that was part one. Join us for part two of the Framestore podcast this Thursday, where Dom takes over proceedings as co-host and interviews Engie. We'll see you then.